Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Friday night as I'm recording this following the Denver Nuggets loss. They're sixth in a row uh, to the Milwaukee Bucks. Final score, 120-109. Uh, it's, it's tough. It's it's a tough place for Denver to be. Fully understand if people are checking out. I, I, I can see it. I can see... Not as many people are super interested in what's going on right now, given that Denver's without so many of their top players. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, P.J. Dozier tears his ACL. Bones Highland is out, the most exciting rookie on the team. It's a tough place for Denver to be. Uh, what they have been left with is a, a mash unit, frankly. Uh, a team that should not be asked to do what they are doing. And yet they have to. They have had to, and it's been really tough on them. I, uh, it, it's just it's got to be really frustrating. But it's it's above all, it's really frustrating for Michael Malone. I'm going to talk about him specifically in the third segment. I think it's important to uh, fully appreciate the stress that he is under uh, in in a variety of different angles. But let's talk about the game actually first. Let's let's do three things. I hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. I did. That it was it was really great. Um, got to see the family. I posted a picture on Twitter. It was a really fun thing. And it came at the right time, I think, for a lot of people, especially Nuggets fans, where it's been been a rough few days. I, I totally get it. Um, next, walking into the arena tonight, I rolled my ankle so badly that I collapsed on the ground. It was it was not good. Um, I'm okay. In a lot of pain. It sucks. It was pretty embarrassing. Um, and we'll see what the ankle does over the course of these next uh, couple days. But given that Denver's now going on a seven-game road trip, I don't necessarily have to go anywhere. So great. This is, uh, is going to be perfect timing for me. Um, and then third, uh, prior to the game tonight, I played TJ McBride uh, of Mile High Sports and of Play Colorado in chess, and I checkmated him in five moves. I thought that everybody would want to know that because I was laughing my ass off, and he is currently contemplating his existence. Uh, it was hilarious. So that's where we have devolved into uh, covering this Nuggets team at this moment, and it's too bad because this should be a team that should be super exciting right now. But the fact is it's not. The fact is, is that this team has just had it so rough over the course of these past few days and few weeks and few months 
that it, it's starting to wear on the team, I think. And they just look overwhelmed. They appear like they are fighting a losing battle at this point, given all the injuries, given all of the drama. And it's tough. It's tough to watch. But let's talk about the game. We'll talk about the starters in the first segment, bench in the second, and then Michael Malone in the third. Starters, they start the game poorly against the Bucks. Uh, it's a really tough matchup for anybody. Don't get me wrong, but the, the Nuggets made it as difficult as they possibly could. Um, Michael Green started really poorly, was just entirely out of whack on both ends of the floor tonight. Shot one of nine, only played 16 minutes, missed all three of his threes. Um, but the really depressing part was the defense. He did have a couple of steals tonight. I thought that the Bucks got a little bit wild with their passing at times and then turned the ball over way more often than they probably had to. But the fact is they shot 63% from the field tonight. They shot 48.5% from three. They got to the free throw line 20 times, only made 12 of them because Giannis shot three of nine. But they had so many great indicators of great offense from the shooting perspective that it just didn't matter how many times they turned over the ball. And it didn't matter that Jamichael Green got those couple of steals. He was bad. And he just looks very out of whack and confused and kind of behind the play on several occasions. And he got his jumper blocked today uh, from the three-point line. The only shot that he made, I, I really liked the shot attempt that he took, was an 18-footer that was just about, it was a pick in the pick and pop range. I don't remember if it was in the, the circle above the, uh, or close to the top of the key or not, the half circle. Um, but it was right around that vicinity and it was just a little bit inside the arc. And I feel like he has some pretty good touch on those shots. Remember, he's a traditional power forward who grew up in the, or not grew up, but played for the grit and grind Grizzlies. So he had to work on the mid range pick and pops. That was something that he did and did really well. Pushing his range out to three has not been good. It has just been really difficult for Denver. I hope that he starts getting into the mid-range a little bit more because him going out to three has just been a losing prospect for Denver throughout the entire season. Two points, four rebounds, two assists, or uh, two steals, no blocks, only played 16 minutes, and it was the right call. He was by far the worst player on the court out there tonight. That sucks. That really, really sucks. So we'll talk about him a little bit more when I talk about Zeke Naji, but uh, let's talk about Will Barton. He shot 7 of 20 tonight, had 17 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists. Uh, it's also tough. It's just a, a really tough place for Denver to be right now when, when their leading scorer goes 7 of 20, shot 2 of 13 from the three-point line. But the thing is, I thought all those shots were pretty good. Like I, I thought that most, if not all of the shots were shots that Will had to take, that if Denver was going to win this game, then he had to take and make some of those shots. And uh, he rimmed out and and uh, got pretty close on a couple of them. But the uh, fact is, is that if you shoot two of 13 and then the opposing team shoots 63%, then you're probably going to lose. And that's what happened. Uh, despite the fact that the other three starters, I thought, played really well offensively, um, Barton going seven of 20, did have four turnover or four assists to just one turnover. 
had two steals, had nine rebounds. That's pretty good. Like the actual line itself, 17, 9, 4, and 2, pretty good. But I have a feeling that the overall shooting efficiency and the lack of defense, because I thought that he he wasn't great defensively tonight. They didn't want to put him on anybody tough, but when he was out there, uh, he wasn't really doing much of anything. Um, he really struggles, and I think a lot of that just has to come with being relied upon so heavily. Is that when you go from the fourth option to the first option offensively, things begin to become harder when Drew Holiday is guarding you, when Chris Middleton is guarding you, when Giannis is switching on to you, and they're doing so consistently. You can't hide Grayson Allen on Will Barton. And they didn't try tonight because he was the first option and not the fourth. So that's what consistently happened. And I thought that Will Barton did a good job when going up against George Hill. He did a good job when going up against Pat Conton. But when he went up against the starters, it was pretty tough. And that's to be expected. Like That's a really, really great defensive team uh, when they're at their peak. That's just kind of how it goes. Monte's mid-range, uh, Monte Morris, he went, he went 6 of 14, 3 of 6 from 3. Uh, I know that says that he goes 3 of 8 from 2-point range, but it really does feel like Monte does a, a really great job of shooting a high percentage from the mid-range area. I'd say he shot 2 of 5 tonight, uh, but 3 of 6 from 3 is a really good sign. His 3-point percentage is trending back up. Uh, it was only a matter of time with him. He's proven throughout his career that he's about a 37, 38% three-point shooter, especially on the shots that he takes. Tonight, he goes 50% from behind the arc, and he also did a really good job. Um, one of the reasons that Denver scored 109 tonight uh, was because of the kickouts, was because of the the open kickouts to shooters, and the Denver made 17 threes tonight. It's a really high number. It's one of the highest on the year. Uh, and one of the reasons for that, uh, Will Barton hit a couple. Jeff Green hit several. Uh, he hit three of five tonight. And Monte Morris was the main assister on those plays. Had eight assists, two turnovers, four to one assist to turnover ratio. That's good enough. That's pretty good. Now, there were a couple plays where Drew Holiday just kind of was a bulldozer right into Monte Morris and muscled him. Was was Drew's was a little too big for Monte Morris, but you're gonna get those plays every now and then. I think Monte mostly makes up for it when he does. Um, but 15 points, eight assists, two turnovers, six of 14, three of six. That's pretty good. Hard to hate on that performance. Aaron Gordon also remains pretty good. I thought that he and Monte were the best starters tonight. Uh, Jeff Green does have a, a case for it, but mostly it was Monte and, and Aaron. Uh, Aaron, 6 of 10 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3. Hit all 5 of his free throw attempts tonight. That's pretty good. 18 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals. He played good defense tonight. When, the times that he didn't play good defense were was, was when he was having to chase around Grayson Allen or Pat Conson or one of the smaller guards. But when he was switched on to, or when he was guarding Drew Holiday, when he was guarding Chris Middleton, and when he got switched on to Giannis, 
he was doing really well. Uh, he he was definitely Denver's best defender tonight, and it stands out that probably should have played him on, on Giannis from the start and perhaps gone small earlier. Um, it doesn't necessarily work like that, and you, you can have hindsight as 2020, of course, but Gordon matching up physically with Giannis makes a lot of sense. It also makes sense to match him up with uh, Chris Middleton, and I thought he did a good job on Chris when he was on him. Uh, but Chris Middleton's very good. Giannis is very good. They're good at making tough shots, and Giannis and Middleton especially were just making everything look easy tonight. Giannis goes for 24 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists, 1 turnover, was a plus 18. Chris Middleton, 17 points, 5 of 11, 4 of 9 from 3, 7 assists, 5 rebounds. Did have 6 turnovers. I thought he was the main culprit for Milwaukee tonight. Just was kind of wild with whatever he was doing. Um, But then he hits the contested shot right over your outstretched contest and just kind of makes up for it. Finally, Jeff Green. Uh, he was in the impossible position tonight of having to guard Giannis. Thought he did as well as could be asked. The problem is, is that there's a certain ceiling to what he can do. And Giannis, when he is hitting turnaround jumpers, just doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do. You can't guard against that. Because if you try to sit on a turnaround jumper, then you're going to get blown by for a dunk. You're going to get hammered. And you're going to lose because Giannis is now, he now has a diverse enough bag of moves that he can go to on a consistent basis that he's going to score and he's going to create open shots. Denver went to his zone tonight to try to slow him down. It didn't really slow him down, but basically all he did was pivoted into finding open three-point shooters. And they shot 48% from three tonight, 16 of 33. And that's what happens. That's what happens when you can't do a defendant in his own either. But Jeff Green specifically, uh, 15 points, 6 of 10 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3. Like I said with Monte, uh, Jeff Green hit some threes. And the fact that he's hitting his threes tonight and the fact that he's attacking, going to the rim, uh, it stands out just how much better he's playing than he was over the course of the first couple days. Of first first few weeks is what I will say. Um, the shot chart tonight is really good. Had three kind of top of the key threes. Went one of three on those. Had two threes in the corners and made each of those. And then the shots around the rim were the only other shots that he took. And he he's allowed to take like one or two mid range shots, but he knows the best way to attack. He's been doing this for a long time. And Denver continuing to optimize him is a really, really good sign. So hopefully that continues. We will see. Uh, but I've liked what I've seen from Jeff Green. As long as Jokic gets back, I think Denver's going to be fine. But they're going to need to get Jokic back. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the bench. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
let's discuss the bench unit and let's discuss the, the most polarizing of them, Faka Composo to start. Um, first of all, with the bench unit, Denver, they are now in a really tough position where given the players that they have out, given who they are starting, the bench unit tonight featured Will Barton staggering, as well as Aaron Gordon staggering and Monte Morris staggering at times. But the four players that played the most were Faku Campazo, Austin Rivers, Vlako Chanchar, and Zeke Naji. Tough place to be. Really, really tough place to be. Don't get me wrong. Um, but let's start with Faku. Start with the leader of that bench unit right now. Uh, the offense with him tonight was good. I don't want to overstate it because it wasn't great. He shot the ball well. Do he deserves credit for that? But he did have more turnovers than assists. And his dribble penetration tonight, I think the Bucks learned where other teams really struggled, where the Blazers struggled, where uh, a variety of other teams have struggled when they've matched up with Denver lately. Um, when Faku drives to the rim, he has no intention of scoring most of the time. He's driving in order to create passing windows. He does it a lot. He does it really well. Given his size, he should be commended for what he does when he drives hard to the rim because it, it does create a lot of open windows most of the time. And there were open windows tonight. Austin Rivers bricked a couple threes, but Zeke Naji hit a couple. Jeff Green hit a couple. Flacco Chanchar hit a couple. They should be credited for that. Faku should be credited for that. Unfortunately, there are too many times where when Faku dribbles the ball into the paint, passes it out, it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't really get the defense in motion. It doesn't really start what Denver's offense wants. There are too many times where he will dribble and then he will get into the lane or get close to the lane and then fire out a pass to a defender or not to a defender, to an offensive player whose defender has taken one or two steps off of him. And what that creates is a mildly to moderately contested three. Unless the bench player hesitates and then it allows that bench player or it allows the defense to kind of reset the advantages lost really quickly. That's where it kind of happens with Faku is that the, the advantage that he creates from going off the dribble is sort of lost because he can't put enough pressure on the rim for a long enough time. If he were able to attack the rim with reckless abandon and draw in the defense, know that they have to help, that they have to rotate, that his man is beat and can't contest the shot, that the pick and roll guy, he has to rotate over. The weak side wing shooter has to rotate over to cover for the roll guy. And then that's when you start the rotation. Faku gets to that point maybe on 40% of his drives. But that's not high enough of a – maybe and 40 is probably overstating it a little bit. But it's not a high enough proportion of the number of times that he has the ball in his hands and then passes the ball out to somebody and they're then stuck with the possession six seconds later than they probably should be. The other thing is the defense, is that despite the fact that he creates some chaos, 
despite the fact that he does a good job of getting into passing lanes, getting steals, disrupting what the opposing team is doing. I think there are too many times where he goes too far and he puts himself out of position and forces his own team into a disadvantaged spot where they are having to now cover for him because he was trying to make a play helping help somebody else. There was a good example of it tonight where Giannis is in a pick and roll. Whoever the point guard is gets him the ball at the left elbow and Faku Campazo immediately comes to tag him and he tries to get in those, get in his way, get him to stop. The problem is that Faku's man is in the right corner. Faku's man is in the right corner and Giannis is at the left elbow. So do the math here. How far should Faku be uh, when his own team is in position and he's just trying to make a play? Because in those situations where he doesn't get it, it's going to be swing, swing to the right wing and then to the right corner for a wide open corner three, or that player is going to cut behind his head, get a wide open layup because there's nobody on the backside to, to, to prevent that from happening. So I think that he's screwing up too many of Denver's rotations in general and that the success rate of him doing well with that is too low for him to continue to do so. He's got to tone it down. It's been enough times now that he's just trying to make plays. I fully understand trying to get your team going by making a hustle play. But there are too many times where he rotates off of his own man. And then that is what burns Denver's solid defense. It's It's got to change. Like that has to show up on the film sessions. I hope everybody gets to see it. Next, let's talk about Zeke Naji. Um, Zeke was a first round pick last year. And I think people forget that sometimes they, he's young, he's still learning, he's still trying to figure this thing out. He already deserves to play more. And I, I would argue that he deserves to play more than Jermichael Green right now. The numbers in, the, in and of themselves don't look really good. One of four from the field, one rebound, one of two from the line, four points. It's not great. He was a plus two. And some of that had to do with garbage time. Don't get me wrong. But he was a plus two. And what he does out there when he's on his game is he's very physical and does a good job of getting into the airspace of whichever assignment he has. He rotates well. He switches well. He defends in the post well. He defends on the move well. He does a lot of things pretty well. And I would say that for every type of player that he has to guard, whether it's a guard, a wing, a big, um, whatever, he's at about a 7 out of 10. If you boil that down to power forwards, especially when they're not Giannis Antetokounmpo, who trucked him tonight for a dunk, and it's clear that, okay, there are certain players that you can defend, there are certain players you can do well against, you might not have expected it, but Giannis disregarded him. 
but against most power forwards, he's about a 9 out of 10 in terms of his defense. Because what he does on a consistent basis is they want to challenge him, they go to challenge him, and then they can't get to their spots. Then they settle for just six inches further than what they would normally do because he's strong. And then he's also pretty tall. He's six foot 11. I think he's got like a seven foot wingspan or something like that. Still pretty big. He's 6'11, 250. Very strong, very athletic. And he moves well. And there was a play tonight where Drew Holiday got him on a on a drive to the baseline or a drive to the middle of the floor, but he jumped off his opposite foot, had to throw up a kind of a wild floater, and had to kind of fake out Zeke. Because if he had gone normally, then Zeke would have been able to get a much better contest. And he just kind of caught him off guard. But I simply think that Zeke has been better than Jermichael Green this year. It's been enough of a sample, I think, to reasonably say that if you're going to be losing and if you're going to be struggling without really changing much of anything, that's probably a bad call. Zeke Naji is somebody who, if they're going to help improve the defense, Zeke is probably going to have to be a part of that because of his size, because of what he does on a consistent basis. And not only that, but he shoots the damn ball. I know that rebounding is kind of an issue with him. It's it's always been kind of a, a weird issue, not a weird issue, but something that he's been concerned about that's been concerning about his development when he was playing more wing. But I don't think the rebounding was the reason why Denver lost tonight. It was because they gave up a bunch of baskets. It's because the guys off the bench, the main players off the bench, Jordan Nora, three of five from the field. George Hill, two of four. Pat Conton, seven of eight, including four of five from three. That's not on Zeke Naji. He's not chasing around Pat Conton. That's on the guards. That's on, I know there was one by Aaron Gordon. I know there were couple by Will Barton that he screwed up. I know that there was one by Austin Rivers that he screwed up. Monte Morris, Faku. It wasn't Zeke Naji. The bigs, like Bobby Portis, Bobby Portis went down him. He was 5 of 12, scored 11 points, didn't get to the free throw line once. That was mostly Zeke Naji. Chris Middleton, uh, 5 of 11, did hit a pull-up three in his face. I do remember that. But what I will say is that can happen to anybody. It can happen to Kevin Durant. It can happen to like literally anybody. So I am not surprised that Chris Middleton was doing stuff. But it's about the margins. It's about finding players that can help on the margins. And I do think that Zeke can do that. I think that he's built for that. Where he's going to make the threes. He's going to grab the key rebounds. He's going to defend force the opposing team into tougher shots, and then it's going to be on others behind him to rebound the misses. And for the most part, they did tonight. The Bucks, despite the fact that they won the rebounding battle 44-31, to Denver grabbed 22 defensive rebounds, and the Bucks only grabbed five offensive rebounds. So the percentage on that, five out of 27, it's not that great. It's like, it's like average. And Denver was playing really small. So I don't think that rebounding was the issue. The reason why Denver lost the rebounding battle was because the Bucks shot 63% and they shot 43. Pretty simple. 
It starts with the misses. It starts with forcing misses. Zeke has to play more. That's my point. Um, not much else to really talk about. Actually, oh no, let's talk about Vlaco. Vlaco real quick, and then we'll take another break. Because Austin Rivers, we'll, I'll just mention his line really quick. Zero points, 0 of 4 from 3. Zeros across the board except for one foul. So no rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks, no turnovers. One foul. He really did nada tonight. Wasn't involved on the defensive end, at least not to a great degree. And wasn't really involved on the offensive end except for missing some kickout threes. It is what it is. Uh, but Vlatko specifically, he returned and made his debut tonight. I, I totally forgot. It's a season debut for him, and I thought he played really well. Only had 15 minutes tonight. They're trying to limit him a little bit, but I think he might play more. Uh, <laughs> very interesting line for Vlatko. 10 points on 3 of 4 from the field, 2 of 2 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line. Then he had 4 assists and 1 steal. Only one turnover as well. Having four assists and operating as kind of a playmaker, a big playmaker for others, that's pretty cool. And he looked really comfortable doing it, where he's going off the dribble, kicking out to open players, and seeing if they can make some shots. And I like that. I think that's a great idea. I think adding a little bit more playmaking to the bench, relying a little bit less on Will Barton every single time, relying less on Faku. That is a good thing for Denver. Gives them some more versatility. Gives them the ability to maybe stagger Vlaco at various points with different players and try to find some different combinations that might actually work. But this was a great debut from Vlaco. What I will say, start of the second quarter, Vlaco jumped a passing lane, read a ball really well, read a play really well, jumped the passing lane to deflect a pass, and he dislocated his finger. Like, I kid you not, TJ McBride next to me said right before that happened that given that he was playing really well and given that like Denver's just the unluckiest team in the league, he said to me, I wouldn't be surprised if Vlatko broke his finger. And then Vlatko's holding his finger. Like, this was even before he uh, he was really showing any signs of pain. So credit to TJ for, for being Nostradamus on that one, but... Um, at least it looked like it was just a dislocation. Wanted to ask Michael Malone whether uh, whether that would happen or like whether like what flashed before his eyes in that situation, but I didn't think that he needed any uh, any jokes tonight. Um, garbage time lineup was actually fun. Marcus Howard scored eight points. Peter Cornelly gets his first points, and it's a poster dunk. It's pretty good. Um, just makes things more fun. And I thought that Pepsi Center had the most fun it could when they were actually getting some good minutes from the garbage time, guys, which is crazy. All right, let's take a final break. When we come back, we're going to close with uh, Michael Malone discussion. We'll be right back. Final segment here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, let us discuss 
Michael Malone, let us discuss what's going on with him with the Nuggets right now. Six losses in a row. It's been a long time since that's happened. It's been a long time since they've been below 500 to this point in the season. Um, I'm actually going to go back right now. Great podcasting content for me. Um, but let's go back and check out what Denver's win-loss record is and how like how long their longest losing streak was in previous seasons. Last year, it was three games um, from in the in the early February time frame. Year before, three games. Um, that was um, actually uh, yeah, it was it was early December, so kind of the same around the same time actually. Very interesting. Um, twenty eighteen nineteen. Um, pretty early in the season, they lost four in a row. Uh, 2017 18, they lost three in a row. Yeah, three in a row was their their longest, kind of in the early January range. And that was kicked off by a loss to Sacramento, which I'm sure was great. Um, there's a five game losing streak in 2016 17, which is when they finished 40 and 42. Um, that was kind of uh, right around New Year's, kind of into early January. Um, and that was looking pretty bad as well. But then they, they turned it around a little bit. And actually, interestingly enough, uh, the way that they turned that around was they went to London, if people recall. They went to London. Um, wait, is that is that true? I think I feel like that's true. And I feel like that was their London trip. Um, yeah, because they scored 140 points that day. Um, that was when that was that was a that was a fun time. Uh, you have to go back all the way to the 2015-16 season to get to a losing streak that is longer than the one that they're currently on. The longest losing streak that they had started with November 18th at the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, I think that was the Jokic game, if I recall, where Jokic proves what he can do against Tim Duncan. That was pretty cool. Uh, but that goes from November 18th to December 2nd, where Denver lost eight games in a row. And it's tough. It's tough in those situations because as a coach, you got to feel helpless. You got to feel like you are ruining things for your season when something like that happens so early. Um, so I understand. I definitely understand why he could be concerned, why things are really tough for him right now. But I can't point to a single reason why the coaching staff should be blamed for this loss. And really for most any of them. Uh, I think the Chicago game at various points, like that could be something, but against Dallas, like Dallas just shot really well. Second night of a back-to-back Denver kind of ran out of gas. That's a pretty standard loss against the Philadelphia 76ers. You had a, a letdown loss, but Michael Malone was saying, Hey, look, like we can't let down. We can't let down. We can't let down. And then they let down. And I think Jokic got hurt during that second half. Um, but there was just a lot going on with the rest of that roster too. I don't think it was just like Malone's fault in those cases. 
just felt like everything kind of went against Denver at that point. And then you've got Chicago and then you've got Phoenix and then you've got Portland and then you've got Milwaukee. Like Denver just hasn't had a letdown. They haven't had a bad team that they could face in order to get right. That makes things really difficult. It, it like you're playing Faku Campazo, Austin Rivers, Vlako Chanchar, and Zeke Naji off the bench. That is just not ideal. Denver hasn't had a lot of time with these guys to really work with them and see, okay, hey, what is the best case? What is the best way to get you guys going? How can we get everybody going the same direction? How can we break this skid? They haven't had that time to really adjust, and hopefully they get it this weekend. You had Thanksgiving, where you had two days off, and then you played Milwaukee. And now you have two days off again before go to Mil- uh, you go to Miami, and you play against the Miami Heat. I don't know what that's going to do. I don't know what's going to happen there. They're going to be super motivated, so frankly, it's probably going to be another loss. But here's the thing. You're without Jokic, Murray, and Porter. I would say that it's okay. I would that's that's what I would say. Is that it's 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 been a little bit for me to come around to this, but we're still in November. This team is not nearly whole. They're not even close to whole. They, like, you, you would definitely say that this team is like at less than half capacity right now, based off of not having Jokic, which makes up about. of that, but not having Murray makes up another 12% and not having Porter makes up another 8%. And then you've got PJ Dozier and Bones Highland on top of that, where they give you that flexibility. They give you the extra defensive punch or scoring punch or playmaking punch, whatever you need at those points. It gives certain optionality. Denver doesn't have that. It's, It's completely lost to them at this point. They have to play Faku Campazo, 29 minutes like he did tonight. Will Barton played 39 minutes tonight. He was on pace for 42 out of 48. Aaron Gordon's on pace for 39. Monte Morris on pace for 36. These guys are exhausted. They looked like a team that was exhausted and they're pressing really hard, trying to get a win, trying to figure it out. You got to take a step back. You got to realize you're just not good enough without your three max players, at least not against good teams, and they haven't played a bad team yet. You're going to have to wait for Jokic. You're going to have to be more reasonable. And y'all, like, I know that I'm, I'm kind of coming out of left field with, with this one. I haven't seen a lot of Michael Malone criticism, but I want to get out ahead of it because I see a guy in Malone who is just struggling to find a solution and who's being handed like he's being handed turds and trying to make diamonds out of them. That's really tough. Obviously it's really tough. It's really impossible, frankly. So no fire Malone hashtags, no hopping into my mentions and telling me you don't know anything uh, they should be playing Bull Bull more. No, they shouldn't. No, they shouldn't. There's a reason why they're not playing about not playing Bull Bull. Playing Marcus Howard more is not going to be the difference between winning and losing. Playing Peter Cornelia is not the difference between winning and losing. He has the group that he has, and he's doing his best. 
And I don't blame him for going with Jermichael Green and trying to ride with him because Jermichael's been around for these past, this past year and a half doing his best, being a big part of what Denver wants to do. He was extremely helpful in the first round series win against the Portland Trailblazers. Now, you're in a solution. You're in a situation where he's being asked to be the focal point of the offense with as many pick and rolls as he's running. I'm not surprised that he's struggling. I'm not surprised. If you play him in a more complimentary role, he's going to be better. But right now, he's being asked to be the main screen setter and roller and popper, somebody who's involved on 75 to 80% of the plays. That's tough. It's a really, really tough thing. But no more crying about it. Denver's in a really tough spot. They've had a lot of hardship. There's no reason why you have to make it more difficult than it already is. Because if I start seeing like fire Malone hashtags, I'm going to call you out every single time. I, I just will. How many games does the lineup of Jamal Murray, Bones Highland, PJ Dozier, Michael Porter, and Nikola Jokic win if they are the starting lineup for a full 82 games? I'm going to guess, like I said, 53 and 29 on uh, shit on Twitter, excuse me. They're really good. That's a really good trio. P.J. Dozier would make things really easy for them, and Bones being able to play off of Murray, Porter, and Jokic, like, good lord. He'd find things so much easier. Because right now he's trying to create pick and rolls. Bones is. When he's healthy, next to Faku, Austin Rivers, Jeff Green, and Jamichael Green. It's pretty tough. The good news is that the day goes on. The sun will shine tomorrow. At least we hope. I miss seeing Denver's big three together. And you're going to go play the Miami Heat. And I don't know whether the Mafia is going to be there to, uh, to put out a hit on Jokic. Or if the Serbian military will be there to protect him. But expect some fireworks on Monday. That's all I will say. Um, Tough loss tonight. The score was closer than it actually was. Never really felt like Denver was threatening. They always felt like a team that they put a little bit of a scare. But they don't have the firepower. It's just as simple as that. The hope is that you get Jokic back and then you can start to see what this team is made of. But you can't see what they're made of until that happens. Until everybody gets back into a, a slightly normal role. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support and the well wishes after the ankle. Uh, I'm going to go ice up. It's in a lot of pain right now, so is what it is. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Enjoy your weekend, and I will talk to you guys next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.